0: If you would go ahead and turn with me to Second Samuel, Second Samuel being chapter thirteen this morning. While you're turning there, I want to read you another piece of scripture before we begin. I hope this will put us in the right place to hear God's word this morning. It comes from Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. It says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you think about it, Paul wrote this in the New Testament time, but at the time that he wrote this, the New Testament wasn't a completed work yet. It wasn't, there might have been some things that were circulating at this time, but most likely there wasn't very many. So when Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, in his context, he is referring to the Old Testament. He is referring to a book like Samuel or Psalms, or or the Pentateuch. He is referring to what we call the Old Testament. Now, of course, what he says applies to the New Testament as well. All Scripture is the Word of God, breathed out by God, and is good for, for teaching. But in his context, specifically, he's talking about the Old Testament. I said last week on Mother's Day that this particular passage might not have been the most fun passage for Mother's Day. It might not have been the most appropriate passage to try and honor mothers while also honoring Christ. But it is Scripture. It is God's Word. And so what 2 Timothy says about uh, all Scripture applies to this chapter. It is a difficult passage. It's a difficult thing to read. It's hard to see God's goodness in it. It's hard to see God's providence in it. But it is God's Word and it is good for us. And it's all those things that 2 Timothy says about it apply to this to this passage, that it is good for teaching, it's good for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it is an equipping work, or word of God. So I want you to keep that in mind as we read it. Uh, It's a rather long chapter, so we're not going to read the entire chapter, instead we're going to read about half of it, and even half of it is still pretty long, but we're going to read through verse uh, 22, and then we'll stop there, and then uh, once we get to there in the and today we'll uh, kind of paraphrase the rest and talk through the rest in a different kind of way. Uh, But let's 2 Samuel 13, let's read verses 1 through 22. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, "'O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me?' Amnon said to him, "'I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister.' Jonadab said to him, "'Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill.' And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon laid down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near... When she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he had hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other one you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning, and we admit that that as we are studying through this book of your word, dear God, that we come across a passage that is difficult, dear God. Uh, It's hard. We just ask that you would still show us, dear God, how it is good for us, how it is a teaching word, how it is good for correction and reproof and for righteousness, dear God, that we would be able to learn from it as we would any other passage, dear God, that you would show us um, uh, your word, that you would show us a picture of the gospel in this, dear God, that you would show us Christ through this, dear God, and we just ask that you would um, just convict us, dear God, as we as we study this, that you would uh, challenge us, dear God, and uh, make us more like your son, Christ. All that's in our prayer in your gracious and holy name. Amen. Like I said this is a difficult passage. This is tough. One thing that makes it difficult is that it seems like every action in this chapter is sinful. It seems like everything that any character does, at least the the four main male characters in this, almost everything they do seem to be sinful. And and what we would call, you know, kind of grievous sin, really heinous sin. There doesn't seem to be an upside to this story. It seems dark and it seems dreary, and it seems like all hope is lost for the family of David, for the kingdom of David. It seems like his family is in complete disarray. Before we go any further, I want to remind you of, of two promises that God made to David in the previous chapter or chapters, actually. And this was in response to what David had done to Uriah and and how he had taken Bathsheba to be his wife. It comes from 2 Samuel 12, verse 10. If you want to look there, you can, but I'm going to read it to you. It says. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and I've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So this pronouncement that David hears in 2 Samuel 12 is uh, kind of setting the tone for this passage. We're going to see some of this come to fruition in this chapter and the next few chapters. And it may be easier as we walk through this chapter to kind of break it down. Like we said, it's a sin-filled passage. So it might be easier to break it down by those sins, by the men and the sin in which they had committed. We see Amnon, Jonadab, David, and Absalom, all four in some way sin. And we're going to see that for the sons of David, for uh, Amnon and Absalom, they are going to act much like their father in some ways. So the first text or the first sin that we come to here in this text is Amnon. And the first part of his sin, we're going to see Amnon's sin, is kind of multi-layered, is lust. And then I'll use the word assault and then the abandonment of his sister. But first we come to this lust. Amnon himself will call this love. He says that he loved Tamar, but I think that we can be sure that based on his actions, based on the, the perverseness of it, that this is not love, that in fact it is lust. It is lust. He lusts after her. And he was so lustful, he was so uh, uh, perverse in this way that it tormented him to see her. As verse 2 puts it, it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now I want us to think about that, 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 that verse there in verse 2. It seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Because that can mean one or two different things. And, and how we interpret it uh, may, may change how we kind of look at it. He, he could have been saying it seemed impossible morally. Like, he had this, this lust, but he would never, ever do something quite like this. It's impossible for him to do something like that. Or, it could mean that he wanted to, but just couldn't find a way. He just couldn't find the right mode to do this thing that he wants to do. Now, I don't know which one it is. Both seem possible. Uh, but, either way, at one point, this thing seemed impossible to do. At one point, this thing that Amnon is going to do seemed impossible for him to do. And this brings us to the second character and his sin, and that is Jonadab. Jonadab. We'll come back to Amnon, but for now, let's think about Jonadab. His sin comes up next. Look at verse 3. So, end of verse 2, it seems impossible for Amnon to do anything to her. And then verse 3, but... Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. So while Amnon is certainly the perpetrator perpetrator of this sin, he is the one who is acting in this sin, it is Jonadab who is the mastermind behind this plan. And it's ironic that it calls him a friend because this is not something that a friend would do, right? This is not something a friend would do would do. A good friend in this, in, this, in this time would be kind of metaphorically um, talking him off the ledge. He'd have been saying, no, no, this is wrong. This is." He'd been saying what Tamar said. This is not to be done in Israel. But instead, he, he goes ahead and he pushes him over the ledge. He gives him this plan so that he can do what he wants to do, this outrageous thing as Tamar would call it to, uh, to her. And we can, one thing we can learn from John Adam, as we walk through these sins, I want us to Think about what can we learn from their sin? Because it seems like all we see in this passage is sin. So we're going to ask, what can we learn from their sin? And there certainly are things that we can learn. From Jonadab, for example, we can learn that it's possible to be, to be wise, to be clever, as the Bible calls them, crafty. It's possible to be all those things and yet be godless and to be ignorant, to be dumb. He is wise and dumb at the exact same time. So it's possible that to use a God-given gift such as wisdom such as cleverness, such as craftiness, to use a God-given gift uh, in a way that is God-dishonoring, in a way that is outrageous, or as other translations call that word, wicked. So his talents are, you know, uh, he is obviously some way clever, some way smart. He has this wisdom, but he is godless, and because he is godless, those talents are wasted. God gave those talents, but when they're used apart from his counsel, when they're used apart from God's um, uh, will they are wasted, wasted? So we have to use our God-given gifts for, for God things, for good, God glorifying uh, reasons. So now we come back to Amnon, back to Amnon, uh, or you know we come back to his sin or, or his sins plural, you know. And after taking this this advice of his friend, actually his cousin Jonadab, he follows through. With this plan to pretend to be sick. He's going to pretend to be ill. He's going to ask for David to let Tamar bring him food. And of course, David, uh, he loves Amnon. Uh, We read elsewhere that Amnon is his firstborn. So he loves Amnon. He cares for Amnon. And he allows this, he allows Tamar to go and bring him food. And now I want you to hear again, as Amnon tries to grab her, I want you to hear what she says. She tries to reason with him, to convince him not to do this terrible, terrible thing. Look at what she says in verse 12. The first way she tries to reason with him is morally. She thinks, maybe I can convince him this is morally wrong. Verse 12, she says, Do not do this thing. Such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. Like I said earlier, the word outrageous can also be translated to wicked. So think about it saying wicked. She could be saying Don't do this wicked thing. And for her to say that it shouldn't be done in Israel is to say that this is against God's law. This is something that is not allowed in any way. This is something that a man of Israel should not do. She tries to convince him not to do this wicked thing, first and foremost, because it is sin. It is morally wrong. And then when that fails, I imagine he's still holding her. She still hasn't convinced him otherwise She then turns to a different kind of argument. She turns to an emotional argument. Look in verse 13. She asks him, where could I carry my shame? She asks Amnon to think about her. Think about the implications this will have for me. I will have nowhere to go. I will have nowhere to hide my shame. So much shame that I would have nowhere to carry it, nowhere to hide it. But he still doesn't listen. He's blinded by this lust, this sin that he has let fester in his heart. And then her very last attempt to persuade her brother to not do this outrageous thing is to show that it will reflect badly not only on her, but that it will reflect badly on him. She says, and as for you, you would be one of the outrageous, again, or wicked fools in Israel. So not only is this thing morally wrong, and it's sin. Not only is this thing going to bring me shame, but this is going to make you look like a fool throughout Israel. And all of these arguments you think would be enough to convince Amnon not to do this thing. She makes it clear this, this could not be done in secret, but that all of Israel will be aware of this sin, and all of Israel will consider you a fool. He does not listen to her. That's what we see in verse 14. But he would not listen to her. He listened to his friend Jonadab, but he would not listen to his sister. He is blinded by this sin, and this forceful assault... Wasn't the last of his sin. His sin to Tamar is threefold. So he lusts after her. He then violates her, and then finally he abandons her. This is the third part of her sin. Look at verse fourteen. It tells us that he violates her. And then reading verse fifteen, that his love changes to hate, and we're even told it's so strong that the hatred with which he had hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. So I want to stop here and think about this just for a second. Why is it that he begins to hate? Tamar after this action. He had lusted after her for so long. Why did it turn from immediate why did it turn to immediate hate? And I think there's two possible answers, or maybe both. First of all, he didn't really love her. We've already said that. It was only lust, it was only a, a physical affection. So that once that he had done what he wanted to do, he no longer had any affection for her because it was not love. It was lust. And secondly, I think we see something that we may all be familiar with in some way, and that is we see Amnon's perhaps guilt, maybe some kind of guilt. Sin always sounds good and it sounds fun when you're thinking about it or when you're looking at it from the outside. But as the sin is done, as you have done the thing that you don't want to do, you then realize that it is sin. You then realize how that has affected you. I think maybe this is happening to Amnon. I think on top of not having any real love for his sister, he is now feeling guilty for the thing that he has done. And he is actually perhaps hating the sin that he had done to her. But instead of hating the sin, he places that hate on her because he doesn't know how to deal with it. And so he hates Tamar for this thing that he has done. And in reality, this hatred of sin is, is good. This, this thing that he hates sin could have been a good thing if it had caused him to turn and to repent. But instead, this hatred of sin, because it's not placed on the sin rightly, it's instead placed on Tamar. It then causes him to sin even further. It causes him to drive out his sister. It causes him to abandon her. After the fact and after this hate begins to swell up in his heart, he he throws Tamar out of the room. Again, Tamar tries to reason with him. Look at verse 16. She is really convinced. That God's law be followed and that she cares even for her brother to not look like a fool. She's in verse 16. Sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. And for the second time, we hear that same refrain that we heard earlier in verse 14. But he would not listen to her. He would not listen to her. Had he listened to her the first time, he wouldn't be in this situation, but he would not listen to her. And he would not even call her by name when he throws her out. Verse 17 says, he's speaking to his servant and he says, put this woman out of my presence. He wouldn't even call her by name. He hates the thing that he has done to her and it causes him to hate her. Now, I don't know what Amnon should have done after this. It's a, it's a situation that he never should have been in. You know, what was the right answer? Uh, some commentators think that he had a responsibility to take her and to marry her. Uh, some people think that he at least had a responsibility to care for her. Uh, we see this at least in what Tamar expresses that you know, she doesn't want to be thrown out. She says, this is worse than what you have, the other thing that you have done to me. And so I think at the very least he had this responsibility to take care of her. Because she, she would not be able to find another husband. And so it, it is his responsibility to provide for her for the rest of her life. And to take her into his household. But he doesn't do that. He throws her out. He abandons her. And Absalom then comes and he takes that responsibility. It says that she would live a desolate woman in the house of Absalom. So Absalom steps in and he, he takes her into his household. And so Amnon sinned that these three ways. He lusted after Tamar, he violated Tamar, and then he abandoned Tamar. And it may, it may seem hard to think, how can we learn something from this? How can we step back and say, This is how we apply this to our life. That's difficult because we don't imagine ourselves ever doing anything quite this wicked, anything quite this outrageous. But the thing that we can learn from this is that we cannot underestimate our ability to sin. We cannot underestimate our ability to do something outrageous or even wicked, especially if we let sin fester, if we let sin simmer in our hearts. You see, Amnon didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to violate my sister today. He woke up, or he, it grew out of a lust, out of what we might consider a smaller sin, a lesser offense that we would think of. It begins with lust, and that sin is undealt with. He doesn't repent from that sin. He doesn't turn from that sin, and it grows in his heart. And then when he gets the chance, he takes advantage of her and becomes this huge, great deal. You think, I think about whenever you're a little kid, and you learn about lying, and how you, know, you may think a little white lie is okay, but then that white lie turns into a bigger lie because you have to cover up the smaller lie with bigger lies. And it just grows and it grows until you're a full-on liar. And in the same way, it's like a weed. You know, weeds, think about gardening and uh, weeds spread if they're not taken care of. I used to work at the, the university and it seemed like 99% of my job was picking weeds. I would literally get on my hands and knees almost all day sometimes and pick, pick weeds and put them in a bucket the whole day. But if you did that right, and if you did it according to the little schedule that we had, and you didn't miss any spots, the weeds wouldn't be bad. You'd come by, you'd pick a few weeds, and you'd be done. But if you ever, for some reason, missed a spot for a couple weeks, you would come back, and that place would be filled with weeds. If you have a garden, you're probably familiar with that. If you let it get out of hand, it just grows, and it grows so quickly, when you could have just had a little problem, and you could have picked that little problem, but it's neglected, and it grows And that's what we see sin is like here. This sin is neglected. He doesn't doesn't confront it. He doesn't attack this sin. And it grows into something outrageous, into something wicked. So the lesson from Amnon, the thing that we learn from Amnon is to not let sin simmer in our lives. We cannot harvest this sin and protect this sin and and try to turn it, and not expect it to turn into something very, very ugly. We could end up doing something that, that, that at one point, like Amnon, we consider to be impossible. We hear a warning of this in the New Testament. Paul warns the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think that you stand, take heed lest you fall. So even if you're currently standing, even if you're currently not harvesting any sin, continue to guard your heart from even little bitty sins because these little bitty sins can change your life and they can cause it to grow into something that you could not imagine yourself doing. I think that's what we see from Amnon. Thirdly, we come to David's sin. And you may be wondering, how did David sin? David plays such a small part in this chapter. How did David sin? Even in this relatively small chapter, he finds a way to have his sin recorded. And if you're wondering how he sinned, if you can't find it, maybe because you're looking for something that he did, when in fact it's something that he did not do. Something that he did not do. Keep in mind two things. David is a king So as a king, he has a responsibility to upkeep the law of God. He has a responsibility to to be a good, uh, just king. And he is a father. He is a king and he is a father. So as a king, he ought to enforce the law. And as a parent, he ought to defend his child who has been wrong, And he ought to discipline the child who has been or has done the wronging. And so we see he fails in both of these ways. Look to verse 21. We can gather this sin just from this little verse. Verse 21. It says, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. The problem with that is that it's all it says about David. It's all it says that he does in this particular passage about hearing of this. So he hears of this terrible thing that's been done to his own daughter and this terrible thing that his son has done, and he does nothing. We would hope to see in the next verse where it says, and David exiled Amnon, and David imprisoned Amnon for this outrageous thing that he has done. But we see neither of those things So there's a sinful lack of action here on the part of David. David has a responsibility both as king and as a father of his daughter to punish Amnon for his action. But he fails to act against his own son. And in my opinion, I think that's what we see here in the word of God, that is a sin of omission. That is a sin uh, because he did not do something that he had a responsibility to do that he should have done. David had something that David had a God-given responsibility to to be just in this moment. So from David, we can learn that sin can be complex. If we learn from Amnon that that not to to underestimate our ability to sin, we can learn from David that sin can be complex. It's not simple. It's not just um, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Sometimes it's you're not doing something that you should be doing. Sometimes we can sin by not doing the thing that God tells us to do. We can learn that we have to stand up for those who are helpless. That's what we see here. There was someone who was helpless and needed someone to stand up for. So we can learn that we have to stand up for those who are helpless. And sometimes, if we have a particular responsibility to that person, a failure to do so may be sinful. So we see that we can sin in complex ways. Fourthly and finally, we come to the sin of Absalom. The sin of Absalom. This is the part that we didn't read in its entirety. Uh, Absalom's sin is the murder of his brother Amnon. And so without excusing his sin, we can probably all be like, kind of all think, I understand Absalom, right? Like, if, if you knew your sister was violated in this way, you would have this same kind of anger, the same kind of hatred that Absalom has toward Amnon. But the thing is that it's not Absalom's place to seek out justice against Amnon. It is David's place, but it's not Absalom's place. So, however, we can we can still point back to David's inaction here. If David had acted, if David had responded and punished Amnon as he should have then perhaps Absalom's anger would have been fulfilled. His hatred would have been eased perhaps had he known that something had happened, that there had been justice on behalf of his sister. So David's sin affects much more than the immediate situation. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, in the next few chapters, as we continue through 2 Samuel, we'll see this inaction causes Absalom to, to hate uh, not only his brother, but I think we see it causes him to hate his own father. And it's going to be the cause of much of, Sam, uh, much of David's embarrassment as we continue on. It's ironic, though, that when Absalom realizes that, that Amnon has done this thing to his sister, look at what he tells her in verse 20. We read this earlier, but look at what he says in verse 20. He says, has Amnon your brother been with you? Then he says, now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So he says, don't take this thing to heart. And then he takes it to heart. He doesn't take his own advice and he takes this to heart and he hates Amnon. He says, But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. So Absalom doesn't take his own advice. He hates his brother and he plots to murder him. That's what we didn't read here. There's this long extended plot. He, Two years later, in fact, he asks his father David to come to this festival with him. It's called a sheep shearers. It's some kind of festival. It's a, it's a um, a feast in some way. He asks his father to come, and his father refuses. And I think he knew that David wouldn't come. And he then says, would you instead let Amnon go? He says in verse 26, if you want to look there get an idea, he says, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. So at first, David hesitates to follow, excuse me, he hesitates to allow this thing to happen, he hesitates to allow Amnon to go, but Absalom pushes David, and David then says, okay, he can go. And it's ironic here that both Tamar and Amnon were given in to their attacker by their father. David gave both Amnon to Absalom and he also gave Tamar to Amnon. So then they go to this festival. They go to this celebration of some kind, this feast. And when Amnon gets drunk, Absalom has his men kill him. And then there's this panic. There's this chaos And then David gets word, David gets this news that all his sons are dead. Because all of his sons went to this feast. He gets this news that all his sons are dead. And David reacts as we would expect. He rips his garments to show his uh, upsetness, to show that he's hurt. If you think about this, this really would have been bad news. If Absalom really had killed all the sons of David, this would have been bad news. This would have made it seem as if all hope for David's future was gone. The promise that we hear in 2 Samuel 7 about offspring and about this covenant would have been lost. But here in the midst of this panic, the midst of these numerous sins, in the midst of this dark, dark hour for David, comes this helpful or this hopeful message. I want you to read this with me in 2 Samuel uh, back to 13, 32 verses 33 right there. Verses 32 through 33. It says, But Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, this is the same guy that convinced Amnon to do this thing to his sister that gave him the plan. He says, David's brother said, let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom has this, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. So it's ironic here that Jonadab Kind of has to admit to himself that the reason Amnon is dead is because he gave him this plan, because, he's the one, because he did this thing to his sister, because he violated his sister, Tamar. However, there is good news despite this terrible, terrible news. The good news is that there is still a son of David. There is still hope for David's kingdom that is ultimately going to come, that is going to bring Christ to a descendant of David. Despite the judgment of God on David's household and the consequences of this sin, God protects David and He protects the promise that He made to David. Because if all His sons had been lost, that would have been it. That would have been the end. But instead, not all His sons are dead, only one. And that doesn't sound like the best news, but it is good news for David. So we can learn a couple things from this passage this morning. Some that we've already mentioned. First, we can learn from Amnon not to underestimate what we are capable of doing doing if we let sin simmer and grow in our life. Secondly, We learn from Jonadab that it is possible to be wise and yet godless. That God-given gifts are wasted when they are used without consideration for the will of God. And lastly, we learn from David that despite sin, despite his own sin, despite the judgment of those sins, despite the consequences of those sins, if we have faith in God, then He will not leave us. He will not break His covenant with us. Sin has its consequences. Sin has a penalty that is Death, but that has been dealt with if we put our faith in Christ. And that is good news. Because we're going to sin. We're going to sin the rest of our life. And that sin is going to have consequences. There's going to be things that we can't avoid. But if our trust is in Jesus, if we put our trust in Christ, then the penalty for that sin is covered. There is no threat of eternal death if we're in Christ. We will have eternal life. In a moment, we'll have a hymn of invitation. The altar is open. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word this morning, dear God. I pray that you would um, let it sit in our hearts, dear God, that even uh, though it seems like something uh, that seems remote from us, dear God, that we would um, take heed the, the warning that we can get from this, dear God, that we can't underestimate sin, that you would help us to, to push out any sin that we have in our lives right now, dear God, uh, whether it be some kind of uh, mental sin like like we see here, like lust or uh, covetous, dear God, or that it would be something else, that you let us just push it out, dear God. Let us find it, show it to us in our heart, dear God, and let us uh, repent from it turn away from it, dear God. Pray now as we uh, time to, as we close, dear God, that you would just uh, convict our hearts, dear God, that you would uh, draw us near to you, that you would make us uh, more like your Son, that you would uh, let us see uh, hope uh, in the future, dear God, through your Son. I want to pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen.